0: Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message. We are at week number four. Somebody say f o, -O. Week number four of this month's series that we have titled God's prosperity plan. Have you learned anything so far from weeks one, two, and three? Anybody learned anything? Good, good. Um, This is an important conversation. It's not only an important conversation, it's a biblical conversation. I know in church we don't like to talk about money because uh, some people have done some things that they shouldn't have done and misrepresented some scriptures that they shouldn't have, but the Bible does have a lot of things to say That serves as instructions and guidance for how we are to interact with money. And so if we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, Christians submitted to the Holy Scriptures to help guide our lives, then we should absolutely be seeing what the Scriptures has to say about how we handle our money. Because whether we like it or not, money is a vital part of our lives. It's so connected to us emotionally that when we have money, we feel on top of the world and when we don't have money, we feel like the world is on top of us. So how can we be silent about this in church? We can't. It's the number one stressor of people in this country. It's what has people worried the most on a day-to-day basis. You know, I read a survey not too long ago that 8% of what we worry about actually happens. And 92% of it actually never, never takes place. We're wired to worry because we're wired for survival. And so we pre-worry about stuff because we are, we're prone to be defensive ever since the fall. We've been surviving, figuring out, our way ever since. So week one, we started, we talked about the power of giving. And it's a law that doesn't require you to be a Christian to operate in. Those who give, it shall be given unto them, shall. And so that's why you see even non-Christians being blessed by this principle, because it's a law that's in operation no matter of your race, your socioeconomic status, or your religion. Some laws are what's called universal, and the law of sowing and reaping is a universal one. And so it's important that especially the followers of Jesus Christ align their finances and thus their life with God's laws and principles. And then in week two, we did a message called Loose Change because there were some things that we really needed to tighten up because the conversations that happen in church usually stop with giving. The reason that it's misrepresented is because it's often taught as though that's the end of the story. If I return my tithe, if I give my offering, millionaire. It makes for a good sound bite, but it's not theologically correct. Because our Bible tells us that we're supposed to take on the whole counsel of Scripture, which means that we need to know what else does the Word say, what else are we supposed to do? And so in that message we talked about seven different areas, financial, that you need to tighten up because if they remain loose, you'll remain impoverished. And I also helped you to understand that poverty happens in your your brain before it happens in your bank account. There are some people with great jobs, great salaries, benefits, that still have poverty in their brain, and therefore, and thus, they still are not in alignment with God's prosperity plan and they don't experience it. One third of people who make over $225,000 a year are living paycheck to paycheck. More money is not always the answer. More discipline is, and that's biblical. And then last week, we did a message called Dollars and Cents, because you need to have some sense about your dollars, because even though some of us have GEDs, high school diplomas, bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, PhDs, you won't find a personal finance class in your educational journey. And that's not unintentional, let me help you with that. One of the people that's responsible for our K-12 education system as we know it is one of the wealthiest people in American history, a man by the name of John D. Rockefeller. And one day when he was questioned in an interview about this new educational system that was now in place, he said, that he, and along with his colleagues, who were also as wealthy as he was, their intent behind creating this education system, he said, I don't want a country of thinkers. I want a country of workers. And so it's not accidental that they didn't teach you about money. But the good news is your Bible is full of financial education for you to learn from. And so we've been slowly walking through what does the Bible say about how I'm supposed to handle my money? This is the journey that my wife and I went on several years ago that took us from A net worth of negative $30,000 to a net worth over seven figures is because we decided to believe God. We decided to trust God. There was a lot of hard work involved. There was a lot of sacrifice involved, but we wanted you to know that his plan works. We want you to know that heaven makes millionaires too. So that you can know what to do with your legacy. Because you have one, you're creating it. Every 24 hours, a new piece of your legacy puzzle is put in place. And so it's imperative to us that you learn this. We didn't create this series for us, we created it for you. Because we believe that you that you have what it takes. We at this church are about the kingdom of God. So we're not teaching you what the Bible says about money for your selfish gain. We are teaching you what the Bible says about money for the advancement of the kingdom. Because we all can't be broke and move the kingdom agenda forward. I know the Bible says the poor you will have with you always. But that doesn't have to be you. Let it be them. The ones who don't decide to follow God's prosperity plan. Let them be the beneficiaries of us doing the right thing so that we can show them Jesus and how we show up for them. So today we're going to look again at a gentleman named Joseph. This whole series is anchored um, by a scripture that happens right in the middle, like right in the middle of Joseph's story. It's at the point where he is a servant, a slave really, in Potiphar's house. And his hard work, his effort brings such results that a man named Potiphar who doesn't know God sees God in his results. And we picked that scripture to anchor this God's prosperity plan is so you don't pre-disqualify yourself from prosperity. Because Joseph was a slave when prosperity showed up. The Bible said that everything that his hands touched prospered. So even if you don't like your job right now, (laughs) even if your finances, your situation, your vocation, your business, your ministry ain't in the most ideal situation, your hands can still prosper if you follow God's plan. That was in Genesis uh, 38, but today we're gonna look at Genesis 41. We're gonna advance in Joseph's story a little bit. And so at that point where we talked about previously, he had a situation with Potiphar's wife where she lied on him. And as a result, he went from slave to prisoner. The story got worse. And while he was in prison, he met two other people, a baker and a cupbearer that was a part of the staff of Pharaoh. And those two guys had dreams. And Joseph successfully interpreted those dreams. And the translations that he gave them both happened. One was killed, one was restored. And the guy that was re- was restored, Joseph was like, Hey bro, don't forget about your boy when you get out. Holler at Pharaoh, let him know that I'm in here. And he forgot about his boy. And Joseph stayed in there a few more years. But then Pharaoh had a dream. And nobody could interpret the dream. Pharaoh called all the magicians and all the wisest people of the most powerful nation at that time and nobody could interpret the dream. And then the cupbearer was like, oh snap, you know what? Yo, remember when you remember when you locked me up? <laughs> there was this Hebrew in there named Joseph, and he interpreted our dreams and everything he said, it actually happened. You should probably go ask him. He, he'll probably be able to figure this thing out. So they went and summoned for Joseph, and we'll teach this another time, but it said that he cleaned himself up before he showed up. That's another message for another day. But he presented himself to Pharaoh and then he and Pharaoh had a conversation and that's where we find ourselves right now because Pharaoh is vexed. He had these dreams and he like, I know it means something, but I can't figure out what it means. So, Genesis 41, 17th verse in LT, we're going to read some scriptures, it's not going to be two or three. Because I think church is a good place to read your Bible. Would you agree? You don't show up to a restaurant and say, man, that's too much food. So don't show up to this church saying this is too much scripture. Amen, somebody? Verse 17, so Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. In my dream, he said, I was standing on the bank of the Nile River and I saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. But then I saw seven sick-looking cows, scrawny and thin, come up after them. I've never seen such sorry-looking animals in the land of Egypt. These thin, scrawny cows ate the seven fat cows. But afterward, you wouldn't have known it, for they were still as thin and scrawny as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I also saw seven heads of grain full and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were blighted, shriveled, and withered by the east wind. And the shriveled heads swallowed the seven healthy heads. I told these dreams to the magicians, but no one could tell me what they mean. Joseph responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. There's that word again. The seven thin scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I have described it for God has revealed it to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt, but afterward there will be seven years of famine. So great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. The famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of this entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses, Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise the famine will destroy the land. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So it's not just enough to to know what God says, but do you have strategy for it? He didn't just interpret. He went above and beyond. He said, now that we know what God said, here's what you should do. About it, And his revelation was so powerful that Pharaoh and all the officials was like, man, he knows his stuff. So Pharaoh asked his officials. Now let me tell you something. This is Egypt. Can't nobody mess with Egypt right now. So the people that are up here with Pharaoh got to be some powerful people. Got to be some smart people. But yet, Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man? So obviously filled with the Spirit of God. Has anybody ever said that about you? It's just so obvious. Not not by how good they pray, not by how good they preach not by how many scriptures they got memorized, but because of their economic prowess that he was recognized as being so obviously filled with the spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent and wise as you are. Clearly, no one is as intelligent and wise as you are. I'm gonna preach a message today called Do The Math. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that we're not alone in this journey. We're grateful to know that although our family didn't teach us this, our school system didn't teach us this, that your word teaches us this. And we're grateful to know that we have help in this area. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do the math. Uh, last week, my son, he's in uh, seventh grade, and he'd had some trouble with his math homework. Now, He's in a gifted program. So when he, when he said, Dad, I need some help with my math, I got a little nervous. Just keep it real. Y'all, y'all can talk about me, that's fine. Pray for me. And so he brings the paper to me. No lie, I'm internally praying. I'm not trying to look like a fool right now. So he starts Articulating, he was like, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a, a equations mixed with the distributive property. I was like, oh, for real? I was like, all right, let's get this done. Distributive property. And so, you know, he walks through, he erases everything, he said, let me show you. He's like, I keep doing, I follow the steps that the teacher told me but I keep getting the wrong answer because it was digital and so he would put it in and he would say, nah, that's not it. And so he pulled out the sheet of paper and he's talking and writing, talking and writing and I'm over here praying. (laughs) Like I'm sitting there, I'm I'm literally sitting at my desk like this, like, Lord, if you don't do it, (laughs) it won't get done. And so he walks through it, he follows all the steps and he still gets the wrong answer. So, so I say, yo, why don't we try to look for an example? Without me saying, yo, I don't know how to do this. (laughs) Come on, you gotta use your brain sometimes. And so there's this feature on the the program where you can see an example. And so, uh, he pulled it up, and so then I start, put out uh, my own sheet of paper, and then I start working it out, and then, but I, unlike him, Like at each step, I looked at my paper and I looked at the example. Then I looked back, at my, am I doing this just like the example? And so we're working our way through it, we're working our way through it, and then I found it. Because I was looking at the example, I saw that he missed a step. And the thing about doing math is the concepts build on top of each other and one step throws everything thereafter off. And once we found the error in that one step and we did it appropriately based on the example that we saw, we ended up with the solution. We got the right answer and I didn't look like a fool. (laughs) And so the thing about money is it builds on top of each other. You can't do three things right and two things wrong and get to prosperity. One step at a time. And some of you are so disappointed in yourself because of the decisions that you've made in the past that you're still stuck because you won't look at an example and adjust the steps that you took. God wants you to know that you can look at an example and adjust, you can go back, make some adjustments and get to the place that you've been trying to get to. But that's something you gotta work out in your heart right now. Because I can't reach in there and make you see yourself the way God sees you. God wants you to know When it comes to your money, if you do the math, the biblical kind, if you take your time, forgive yourself and allow yourself to see yourself the way that God sees you that you can get to where he's trying to take you with your finances. I just felt like you needed to know that up front before we proceed on this journey. You're gonna need to take notes. Because this is gonna be biblical and practical. All month, we've been giving you a little piece to the puzzle. Some of you have done it, some of you have not. But you can still make the necessary adjustments. And you can still get the right answer to the problem that we are facing. So, the first type of math that you need to do is addition. You need to save your money. According to a survey conducted by Bankrate, 57% of Americans would not be able to cover a $500 emergency. That means if something happens, your car at your house that costs $501, most people, they can't take care of it. And this is regardless of income. I know you think the answer is if I get a raise, if I get a better job, if my business takes off, everything will change. It starts with discipline before it gets to the dollars. So you need some addition to your financial situation. We'll look back at Joseph. In verse 34 it says, Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the city. That way, there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. How does this apply to you? Because an emergency in your finances is going to come. It's not a matter of if you will experience a financial emergency. It's just a matter of when. So it is a biblical principle for you to have an emergency fund. I know you thought it was Dave Ramsey's principle. But it's actually biblical for you to have money put away so that when a financial emergency arises, it's not an emergency, it's just an inconvenience because you already planned for it. You're supposed to, like Joseph said, think about that in times of feasting. You're not supposed to wait for a famine to show up to say, oh, what do I do, Lord, help me. I'm believing in faith, let me walk on water. Oh, it's too late for all that. He told you to think about it ahead of time. So what we tell people is this. You should, because if you've done the homework so far, you know where your money's going. If you've done the homework so far in this series, you know how much your bills and your expenses are. And if you haven't done it, you need to find out. Because we teach people that you need to have 30 days of expenses somewhere in an emergency fund. How much does it cost you to live for 30 days? Whatever that number is, you need to have it put away. You can't control these pink slips. You don't know if a health emergency arises with you or your spouse or your kids that's gonna cause you to lose some income. You don't know when that car gonna go out, when that water heater gonna go out. You don't know. But you can plan for it. Because what you do know is that something is gonna happen. Listen, we bought our house, when we bought it, did the whole little house inspection. I mean, made sure that bro knew what he was doing gave us this long report, and within the first year, we had to fix the water heater and the furnace. Huh? What happened to the inspection? You ain't see that? Because you never know. Well, we, don't, we don't like to think about the future because we are so busy in struggle mode in the present. That we don't have the capacity to think past right now. The biblical thing for you to do is to have money set aside for an emergency. And don't do this. This is what y'all do. You got your savings account connected to your checking account. I got that one right, Dr. Monique. You heard all them amens and them claps. So here's what you do when Kohl's got their Kohl's cash sale going on. You just do a little transfer. At the click of a button, your savings is now in your check And you ain't got no savings. Mm-hmm. I know who I'm pastoring. Can I tell you something? That ain't no emergency. That is not an emergency. So, what we would prefer you to do is to have your emergency fund in a whole different bank. Maybe even an online bank. That take a little bit, that you gotta think, like man, do I really, do I really need to do this? You need to make it hard for you to get to it. Because if you make it hard for you to get to it, you'll be creative enough to figure out another way to handle this situation. Some of this is psychology. And you know you better than I know you, so you need to put a little extra parameters in there to keep you on track with what you're trying to do, which is to get in alignment with God's prosperity plan. And he wants you to have some savings. He wants you to think about the disaster that may come while you are in a time of plenty, not when the famine strikes the land. So you need some addition in your life. The next thing you need is subtraction. And you need to free up your money. You need to get out of debt. Yeah, there's that silence, that awkward silence I've been waiting for. You, Mr. Christian. You, Miss Christian need to get out of debt. The reason that we need to address this topic of debt is that unfortunately in this country um, we've normalized debt. Do you know that that debt used to be like a no-no? Like you was looked down upon like what are you doing in debt? Debt used to only be for business owners and farmers that were in a desperate need. That's all the banks used to lend to. But now we've made debt cute. We've made made debt normal. Let's look at at some of the, the current situations of debt. What's the first one we got? The average car loan debt, $14,241. Some of y'all paying $1,000 between two car notes every month, 1,000 plus. The average car note is 512. And the church said, hecky no, that's messed up. (laughs) What y'all doing? What's the next one? The average household student loan debt, one hundred and twenty. Do you know how many couples came to us for counseling saying can we afford to have children? Why? Because he got a student loan. She got a student loan. And now they married and they got a student loan. This is average. It's a heck of an average, what's next? The average household credit card. Yeah, that's the rest of y'all. Everybody got one of these. 14,002. We've made debt cute. We've made debt normal. We got one more. The average household mortgage debt. 202,000. Do you know the word mortgage means death pledge? Google it. And y'all happy to sign up for it. God did it. Look at God. Jireh. <laughs> that's y'all because we have normalized that because we're looking at the world instead of looking at the kingdom because my neighbor's got a car loan because my cousin has a student loan hey everybody's got it it must must not be a big deal Except when you look at the Bible. Ain't that something? Because in Proverbs 22 and 7, it says just as, which means that these next two statements are equal. Just as the rich rule over the poor, statement number one. So the borrower is a servant to the lender. Some translations say slave to the lender. I remember, when I read that, I remember the first time I saw Roots on TV. It was a young man. He was on a, a floor model TV. Y'all don't know that. <laughs> Y'all don't know what a floor model is. But it was It was revolutionary back then. And Roots came on channel five. It was long. But there was this one scene that's just embedded in my brain forever. You know, Kunta was not happy to be a slave. Bro was trying to get away over and over again. One time he tried and got caught and they brought him in and they strung him up and then the little taskmaster had to whip him. Because he refused to take on his slave name of Toby. Yeah. And so he would hit him with the whip. And it seemed like Kuta was over there and the taskmaster, it seemed like the longest whip in the world. And he would go whoosh, and you could hear it like crispy. He would say, What's your name, boy? Like, I'm Kooten Kinte. And he kept hitting him. What's your name? I'm Kuta Kinte. And it kept going. Whoosh. 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 And he finally got to the last one. Kuta couldn't take it no more. Whoosh. What's your name, boy? He says, My name is Toby. And man, that hurt to see. It hurt to experience because because the crispiness of that sound, it was like, like you felt every time, like it felt real. Every time he got hit, I wanted it to stop. The master kept hitting him. What's your name? And so, a lot of you are like me. When you saw that, you felt bad and you felt like that's not right and you felt like that's unfair. But then you pull out your master card and you swipe it the same. And you don't have that same emotional connection to Massa that you do with your master card. But the Bible says that's slavery too. So why don't you have the same disdain for one slavery that you have for another one? Because you're not looking at the Bible. You're looking at the world standards. I'm not okay with master whipping kunta, but I'm okay with my master whooping my legacy. Taken away from what I can give, what I can sell, what I can invest. Why? Because we've normalized slavery. We replaced, abolished one slavery and created another one and normalized it. We'll take a picture and put it on Facebook next to this new slavery called a new car and we'll tell people God did it. We'll get a license plate to say "Blessed seven. Yeah. And spend the next 60 months in slavery and credit God for it. What are we doing? What are we thinking? What are we telling the world? that God contradicts his word? You think God is pleased with your slavery? I gotta give it to you how the Bible gives it to you. Could've called you a prisoner, could've called you foolish, called you a slave. How can you be okay with that? Now I know, you know some situations arise and debt happens. When we first bought our house, There was a mortgage. There was debt. But we were never comfortable with it. We was about our business, like, okay, this is how it is, but this is not how it's gonna stay. We're not going to be shackled to this death pledge for the next 30 years. We got too much work to do. We've never had a car note in our 16 years of marriage. We'll get to that. We don't agree with debt because the Bible doesn't agree with debt. Not because we're special or not because we are doing too much. It's a biblical principle. But that's the Old Testament, okay, so New Testament. Romans 13 and eight, let no debt remain outstanding. So you may have debt in your life, but let no debt remain outstanding. You need to start subtracting the debt from your life. Can you imagine if all kingdom citizens were debt free? You know, this journey started with me imagining myself debt free. I asked myself, what would it be like not to have to send all these folks this money? What could I do if I wasn't sending these folks this money? What if I never got another letter from them, another email from them? What would that feel like? Some of you need to talk to yourself a little more. What does freedom feel like? You need to visualize that. You need to put some thought behind, why why am I okay? with four and five and six forms of debt taking the majority of my paychecks every two weeks. Why am I okay with that? Because the world system of economics was not set up for you to be a thinker. They just want you to be a worker and that's why you show up to work every Monday. Ready to do a job that some of you don't even like because you got to pay that car note, you got to pay that student loan. The president ain't finna uh, make all your stuff disappear. I know he gave you a little something something, but the rest of it on you. I know you're, you're believing God for supernatural debt cancellation in Jesus' name. but you don't even have a a budget in the natural realm, but you want debt cancellation in the spiritual realm. What are we thinking? Do you really think you don't have a part to play? That's not God's prosperity plan. He paid for your sins, not your car. I'ma just keep it how it's supposed to be kept today. Y'all not gonna spiritualize bad stewardship. I won't let you. I won't let you. We're going to keep it kingdom over here at All Nations Aurora. And the borrower is a slave to the lender. Stop normalizing your slavery. Do something about it. How we teach people is to contact all of your creditors. As painful as that sounds, you need to know how much you owe to everybody. Because how can you create a plan when you don't have the information? How can you create a road map if you don't know your starting point? We know the destination is zero, but what's the starting point? You need to list all of your debts. How much do I owe them? How much do I owe them? How much do I owe them? You need to know exacts, not Estimations and guesses and roundabouts. How much do you owe them people? You need to write it down. Put it on an Excel sheet. And then you need to rearrange the list so that the smallest debt is on top and the largest debt is on the bottom. And then you're gonna start paying off your debts from smallest to largest, why? Here's what people tell us. It makes more, because this is called do the math, it makes more mathematical sense for me, now they come to us for advice, but then tell us how to give them the advice. It makes Wouldn't it make more mathematical sense for me to pay off the debt with the highest interest rate first? And we say yes, but if you were good at math, you wouldn't be in debt. So let's stop talking about math. <laughs> the reason we teach you to pay your debts off from smallest to largest is because the victory that you get on that little bitty debt, when they send you that paid in full letter is going to light a fire under you to continue to progress forward and to continue to get that slavery out of your life. You look real good with your debt on right now. But I want you to have a fire to begin to disdain the lie you were told. Some of you got your first credit card on campus. Not accidental. (laughs) It's easier to get a student loan than a business loan. Not accidental. Y'all, so quiet. Y'all didn't know? What's the one thing you can't bankrupt? A student loan. Do you know? I guess I gotta keep going. Y'all ain't know? Do you know the number one asset of the United States government? The interest on your student loans. You think they're gonna make all that disappear? That's their money maker. That's why it's easy for you and your mama and them (laughs) to co-sign for you. So now both y'all shackled, legacy tangled up in the US Department of Education's bank account. Hmm, you ain't know? That's why we gotta look to the scriptures for our financial wisdom too, and use that as the foundation that we build. So after addition and after subtraction, we gotta do some multiplication. You need to grow your money. Because in the kingdom, we're not supposed to struggle, but we ain't also just supposed to be standing still either. Everything in the kingdom grows. So should your finances. Is this biblical? Yeah, in the book of Ecclesiastes, 11th chapter and second verse, some people say um, the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon's midlife crisis. The wisest man in the world did a bunch of things, and he was reflecting this whole book, and he said, invest in seven ventures. Did you know the word invest was in the Bible? Yes, in eight. Why? Because you don't know what disaster may come upon the land. Again, forward thinking with your money is a biblical concept. And you're supposed to invest, and most of you are not. Most of y'all are looking for some overnight get rich. that's why y'all bought them crazy cryptos. Now some cryptos are good, we invest in crypto, but y'all just went for anything because they told you it was just, you can flip it and it's gonna be good. We fall for anything because we haven't invested in our knowledge when it comes to money. We just believe in by faith. But faith without works is dead. So Solomon says in his reflection, looking back, I mean the bro was wealthy, bro was wise. And his advice to you and I was to invest wisely. First, you need to know that the Bible says that we should be investing. That's not a worldly, secular concept. It was in the Bible first. From one of the wisest, one of the wealthiest people to ever walk the planet. He told you, Mr. and Mrs. Christian, to invest Your money. How come you haven't? Most of you at your jobs have access to a 401k. If you work for a for-profit company or 403b. If you work for a non-profit company or TSP. If you work for a governmental agency and you haven't touched it. You haven't even got the little packet of information. You ain't worried about it. Because you trust in God. Because you walk by faith and not by sight. That's cool. But the Bible says you should invest. So how come you haven't? Sorry, my time is up. So how come you haven't? We are investors because the Bible told us to become investors. You should be investors because the Bible told you to become an investor. But look at the advice. It says that you should invest in seven ventures. Yes, even eight. In other words, be diversified. Don't just invest in one. Put all your eggs in one basket because it could blow up in your face. So let's, let's just keep it simple. Let's just look at one type of investing, the stock market. Ooh, everybody's scared of the stock market. The problem is you're supposed to invest so your little fears can't get in the way of biblical instructions. So you can invest in a single stock, meaning that you can invest in one company. Let's use Target as an example. So you can invest directly into Target. That's called a, a single stock. And then another type of investment in the stock market is called a mutual fund. Doesn't that sound nice? Mutual. We in this together. It's mutual. (laughs) But in a mutual fund, instead of it being one company, there's a group of companies. Could be 50, 100, 200 companies in one fund. So you put your money in this fund and it's spread out over all these companies. right? And then there's a third type of investment. This is where you'll find Pastor Ty and myself. It's called an index fund. It's a type of mutual fund, but it's a little different because of the word index. What's the index? How many of you have heard of the term NASDAQ? How many of you have heard of the term S&P 500? See, y'all, other pastors ain't doing it. How many of you have heard the term S&P 500? Those are indexes. And an index fund means that I'm investing in the entire, in every single company that's on that index, I'm investing into this fund and my money is spread across over all of those companies. Sometimes that's a 1,000 or 2,000 different companies. Why did I break that down? Because Solomon said that I should invest in seven, yes, maybe even eight, meaning that I should have my money spread out because disaster may strike. If I put all my money in Target and, and their CEO does something crazy and their stock plummets, then all my money's gone. So I can, I, can, I, can, I, can, I can have a little less risk in the mutual fund, but that's still only maybe 50 or 100 companies. But over here, the reason why we decided, I'm not giving you, I gotta get this disclaimer. I'm not giving you financial advice. So y'all ain't gonna sue me. I'm just telling you what me and my queen are doing. You go decide for yourself. We invested in an index fund so that even if a whole sector crashes, our money is still so diversified that even when disaster strikes, I'm still in agreement with Solomon's investing advice. I'm gonna go so far to show y'all the blueprint, so get your cameras out. I'm gonna show you a potential breakdown of an investment strategy. Not invested advice for entertainment purposes only. I'm not playing with y'all So, we invest in three types of funds. This is 3 ETFs, which stands for exchange traded funds. So again with diversity in mind, we're still spread out. So how do we how do we apply this? You look at your money, right? You know how much you make, you know how much your bills are, and therefore you will know how much money you have left over. So let's just for easy math, you figure out I have $100 that I want to invest every single month into the stock market. Let's just do 100. So then I come to this. Vanguard total stock market ETF. In that particular fund, it is a fund that mimics the S&P 500. Only the 500 strongest companies in our economy are allowed into the S&P 500. So of my $100, 80 of it's gonna go there. Then, so I can diversify even further, I'm gonna go to the Vanguard Total Bond Market ETF. Bonds are a much safer form of investment but they have a much lower return on investment. So this is just for safety. Then to diversify more, I'm gonna go to the Vanguard Total International Stock Market Index Fund. Why, because there are some very strong Companies that are not in America. You think all of them are here, like Nintendo is not an American company. There are lots of companies that are strong that are not American. And so you give yourself exposure to the global stock market in that fund. This is just an example. You can go and use apps, like the next slide will show you, and you can set it up to where. You can say I want to invest $100 a month and I want it broken up in these percentages and they'll do all the work for you. You just got to keep sending your 100. And they'll divide it how you want it divided. What am I saying then? Um, It's easier than ever to be biblical with your investing. It's easier than ever to align yourself with biblical strategies around handling your money. So if you 12 months from now have nothing invested, that's just because you decided that you wasn't gonna follow God's instructions. And don't blame me. You need to know that God is the one who gives the best instructions when it comes to your wealth. Deuteronomy eight eighteen says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. It's him. God has a plan for your money. The last one, after you do addition, after you do subtraction and then we get to multiplication, you need to do some division, meaning that You need to have vision for your money. The word division is division, two visions. Division is terrible when it comes to a marriage because you don't want two visions in the same household. Division is terrible when it comes to building a team because two visions can tear apart a team. Division vision is essential when it comes to your finances. Because you need to have an eye on the present and an eye on on the future. You need two visions on how you handle your money. Proverbs 6 and 6 says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. The Bible is so cool. Learn from their ways and become wise though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work they labor hard all summer here it is gathering food in the winter did you catch it they labor all summer present with the winter in mind so they're getting enough food to take care of them in their moment but they're also strategizing about the future it's biblical it's biblical. So you need to be thinking about not just current needs, but what are some needs to come. Here's a quick example. My wife and I, the reason we never have had a car note is because we're already and always saving for a car that we don't currently need. So every month we take a certain amount and we put it into a separate account that's earmarked for a future car purchase. So when the car needs to be replaced, whatever's in there is what we're gonna go shopping with and we're gonna go pay cash. Because we have two visions. We're thinking about what we wanna do and what we need to do right now and we're thinking about what we wanna do and what we need to do down the road. These are biblical thoughts and strategies that you need to implement into your finances. Why? Because God said so. God's way smarter than you. How do we conclude? We'll conclude with the way Joseph's story concluded. This is probably the most important part you can play. This is probably the most important thing you need to take away. This is your why. We're gonna look at his why. In Genesis 45 and seven, after it was all said and done, he looked at his family, then my computer died. <laughs> and he said, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. I had to go through all this. I had to go from the pit, to slavery, to prison, to the palace, not for me. God knew I needed to go through all this for you. Not so I can survive only, because that would be miserable if I knew I made it and you didn't. That's why me and my wife go so hard with this. It would be miserable for us to be here and couldn't bring nobody with us. That's not kingdom, the kingdom mindset is I gotta get this right so I can help others get right, so I can meet the needs of others, but not just, not just meet the needs of people that don't have my last name, come on. But the Bible also tells me that I'm supposed to leave an inheritance for my children's children. I got to get this right so families can survive. It ain't just about me and my needs and my desires and my ambitions and my goals. Nah, I'm on the kingdom. I move different because I'm on the kingdom. I don't wear my wealth because I'm on the kingdom. I don't drive my wealth because I'm on the kingdom. I'm different. Because God made me different. Your mindset has to be on the kingdom. He gave you that income. Not just for you. He's sending you ahead. That's why I had to do this. I had to. I had to go through the pain. You know how hard it was for us to get here? You think we just snapped our fingers and everything got better financially? Nah, whole lot of sacrifice, a whole lot of dying, whole lot of unlearning, and a whole lot of relearning. And easy. But like Joseph, I had to go ahead so I could come tell you that you can do it too. And now you are charged with the same same mission, man. You're a kingdom citizen. Can't be walking around here struggling. Why are you waiting to heaven to see streets of gold? Why do you even think heaven was described in such a way? It's not really gold up there. But they have to put it in a way that you would see just how valuable it will be. Where gold is underneath your feet. But you think you're supposed to struggle on this earth? And then tell somebody how good God is? Well, he ain't looking good, because you ain't looking good. You got migraines and high blood pressure because you are stressed out, because you ain't handling your money God's way. So let's stop being afraid of the word prosperity. Because it's a biblical word. Let's use it in its proper context. Let's surrender our finances to the Holy Ghost and the power of God. And let's do the work necessary to align with God's prosperity plan. Why? So that we can go ahead and help other people survive, help other families survive, build a legacy. That will outlast us. Let's do do the math. So now you have to continue to surrender. You wake up tomorrow, you're going to have to surrender again. and You're going to have to invite God into every aspect of your life and ask him to continue to speak to you, to help you to live for him. Well, that concludes week number four. I heard a rumor. I heard a rumor. I heard that if y'all pray hard enough, that y'all other pastor might join me on stage next week. It's just a rumor. It's just a rumor. So make sure that y'all pray that through. We might have a special guest up here next Sunday. So let's, let's pray and let's, um, let's believe God that as we make our human attempt to align our finances with his plan, um, that he'll meet us there and that he'll help us to get this done. God, we just thank you because without you we know that we are nothing but with you we know that we are more than conquerors. So help us conquer our personal finances in a way that brings you glory. Help us to live sacrificially so that we can become a blessing to ourselves and a blessing to others. We want more of you in this area. We need more of you in this area. Help us to move from poverty to prosperity. Help us to do it with pure intentions. Help us to become kingdom-minded with our money. Because when it's all said and done, we want you to say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. So we pray this prayer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.